welcome to this week's episode of Seen It All, where we talk about this week's biggest movie and TV news. And this week, we have Shazam! Fury of the Gods. It opens, I went and saw it just a couple hours ago at a Thursday night screening. Nobody was there, but still had a good time. And I gotta say, this is much better than the last film, like way better. And... I guess we should start with our hero side, and we have Zachary Levi, who's technically the lead in this movie, and I really didn't like his performance in the last film, but I feel like maybe because we spend less time with Asher Angel as his childhood counterpart, that it makes his performance look better in comparison, but I thought his quips were better, some of the jokes were funnier, and some of the line deliveries, deliveries he had were a lot better this time, so maybe it's just him growing as this character, but... I would be happy to see more of him. I don't know if he's going to stick around, especially after the recent controversy he's caused. So I don't know. We'll see. And then we shift to the more of his family. Mary, she was great. She was definitely stood out. Her Mar- Mary and uh, Jack Dylan Grazer's character, uh, Freddie, they were definitely the, the standouts of the whole family sphere. Most of the other ones didn't have much to do, like Darla, Pedro. Pedro had a thing about his, his sexuality, but especially... They didn't really have much to do in the film, but I was okay with that. We got to focus more on the ones that I liked more, so that was okay. But the family aspect of this film was a lot, was basically the encompassing the whole film, and we get to see how much these connect with each other and the parents, too. I love that they find out that their kids are superheroes, and I love, I'm I'm sick of the tired of a, of the trope where the some people don't know the secret identity, and that leads to wacky shenanigans. I like when everybody knows the secret identity, like they're on the same page, and I like that, because in my life, everybody be on the same page. But I do wish we spent some more time with the childhood counterparts of these characters, because most of the time we see the heroes, they're all in their adult forms, and I think we would connect with them better for some of them if they're still in their in their kids' forms. And especially when you have Jack Dylan Grazer, who is the younger, who is the childhood counterpart to his character, he is so great, and we he gets to he gets to st- stay as himself for most of the film. I honestly think he might have more screen time than Zachary Levi, and I ain't complaining. His chemistry with Rachel Zegler was great, and his whole storyline, he was definitely one of the best characters of the movie. And every time we cut to him, I was completely fine with it. And then speaking of his relationship with Rachel Zegler, she was part of the villains of this group. We had the daughters of Atlas and my two favorites were definitely Helen Mirren and Rachel Zegler. I think Rachel Zegler and Helen Mirren, they were the best parts of the film. And then specifically Rachel Zegler's, um, I think her name's, um, and Anne, Anne is her human name. I'm not, I can't quite remember what her other name is, but her powers where she can move the axis of the earth were so cool. And I really wish we got to see more of them, but who knows they're gonna hopefully they make another one and maybe we get to see her powers more of it but every time she used them i was like oh this is this is really cool moving buildings and stuff it was it just it looks so fantastic and it's it's some of the best powers i've ever seen in a comic book movie and then helen mirren's acting she was on a whole nother level especially because she's coming out against this movie saying she has no idea what the story is so i don't even think she probably read the script and she's still delivering her lines excellently like it fits in with the rest of the story she's just she's a great actress lucy Liu plays the third daughter of Atlas. On 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 the other hand, I thought she didn't do the best job. I thought she she was definitely the most commanding of the sisters, and I thought that she just needs some more gravitas. I just didn't believe her. She was kind of like a brick wall for most of the film. You didn't really get anything under the in between the layers. It was just she was there, she was doing her thing, but I don't know. I just it didn't seem as believable as the other two. So, she was kind of a uh, let down with the sisters. But let's talk about the action scenes. So it opens up the film with a cold open. We'll talk about that in a minute. But the bridge fight, 
was they played I Need a Hero. It was great. The bridge fight, it was it was the best action in a movie. They all the best action in this movie, they we see the whole Shazam family work together, so it sets up that whole their whole brigade right in the opening and i thought the action scene was actually really cool i was enthralled i was attached and i think it's because to do with how realistic it was i don't want to spoil what happens but it was very realistic and i think you need some reality before you get into all this gods and crazy stuff and they definitely address that but other than that there weren't that many crazy action scenes i can't really remember anything too notable or long besides until the end fight and then when the dragon comes to play and as i've said before i love me a dragon and then the monsters so like cyclopses and then unicorns they all show up at towards the end and Man, does this movie get really dark at some points? The director, um, David F. Sandberg, he has a horror background, and you can definitely tell that he has a horror background because some people get brutally murdered in this movie, and they do not cut away from it. Just like the boardroom scene in the first movie, it still kind of feels like a tonal whiplash from the joke stuff, but here it works better. I think he definitely learned how to address it better than the first movie where we have all these jokey stuff, then we go to that boardroom scene and everybody gets murdered. Here it's worked in a little bit better. And then I also got to say the opening with Helen Mirren and Lucy Liu, that was pretty dark too. So I'm surprised Warner Brothers let him get away with the stuff he did here. But even with his dark, dark aspects, the family messages still shine through and are wonderful here. I think families are really going to enjoy this film, specifically like found families. The stuff they have to say about the foster care system and the mother's role with Billy Baxter is just, it's so, it touches your heart. And I think this film is much much better than the first one in my opinion but i wonder i wonder if these characters are going to stick around wonder woman was spoiled to be showing up by warner brothers themselves they released a tv spot with her she doesn't it doesn't really feel like she fits in here but they're still showing this connected universe that started with snyder with zach snyder and then we have two in credit scenes that are setting up stuff but i'm like at the same time it doesn't feel like this is the direction we're going so why leave these in so it's all very confusing time to be a dc fan right now but I don't know, but I think Zachary Levi, I have no idea if they have a future, which is so odd because they get me sometimes. I'm like, oh, did that actually happen? Oh, wait, are we having a sequel? Are we having a not? Are we going to see these characters again? So I don't know. But right now, all that matters is did they make a good movie right here? And I thought they made a good movie and I thought it had a good family message, much better than the first film. So if you're thinking about going to see it, definitely go see it. I'm not, I wouldn't go in the promise of hoping to see the future of DC right here because that's not what you're going to get. Or for the biggest superhero movie of all time, that's definitely not what you're going to get because this movie didn't cost as much money as those giant superhero films. But yeah, go enjoy yourself. It's a great time in the movies. I probably, the movies that are out right now, I'd probably see Scream over this again, but that's just the horror fan in me. But yeah, if you want to go bring your family to film, this is definitely the one to see. Definitely the one to see. But it doesn't seem like many will see this film. It's tracking right now to earn twenty-seven to thirty-two million dollars opening weekend, and that is awful. The first one back in twenty nineteen opened to fifty-three million over the weekend, and this is this is a really bad result. And I think it squarely has to do with two things. First, there was these trailers were awful that they put out. It never got me motivated or wanting to go see it. I think they just need some better tra- trailers. They, I don't know what they could do, but. Definitely the trailers were not good. And then, but more importantly, I think, is this whole restructuring of the DC the DC universe with James Gunn coming in. Because many, like myself, believe we're leaving these characters behind, so why bother? Even though I don't really like that statement because each individual film, you go see it for a good movie. But also, it kind of feels like if we're setting up future stuff, what's the point of watching this if we're never going to be able to see what's happening? Like, we're just setting ourselves up for disappointment. So I understand where they're coming from. But, I mean, I guess we'll have to see who the box office turns out because... I think this is going to come in above those projections. I think it's probably going to open less than the first one, probably be about 40 million, even though no one was in my theater, like I said earlier. 
but critics aren't as high, hot on this one as the first one. The first Shazam had like a 90% on Rotten Tomatoes. This one has like a 58%. I don't know what happened. Maybe it's comic book fati- movie fatigue or something, but I don't see this one. I see this one's being better than the first one. So I don't, I don't know where those opinions are coming from, but all you can take from is my word that I enjoy this film and I think you're going to enjoy it too. And this has been a great month for movies so far. March has been fantastic. So I don't know. Definitely go out and check this one if you're into the message. And if you like Shazam, this is perfect for you. And I really hope this film does. Do- I really hope this film does well because I mean I don't want to say goodbye to some of these characters, especially um, Jack Dylan Grazer's character and uh, Rachel Zegler's character. I want to see them again. So please go see this film. Oscars. Yes, the Oscars were this past Sunday night, and it was a great show. I made it home just in time to turn it on. And the production design this year, it was just it was outstanding. Um, I love that we're back in the theater. I don't like when these uh, shows do the tables because it feels like it's so hard for the contestants to make it up to the stage. And I like when they're all sitting in the theater-like theater like position. And then they had the nominees on the back screen every time they were announcing the, an award. And I think just the production design was great. Better than it's honestly has ever been. It's just they put on a great show this year. Jimmy Kimmel was our host and I, I did not have high hopes. I didn't have high hopes, but he did. He actually did a really good job with the opening monologue. He got a few laughs at me, laughs out of me. His joke about James Cameron and Tom Cruise saving the movie industry, but not showing up to Oscars was pretty funny and making the show three and a half hours. But I really liked the opening monologue, but I didn't care every time we got back from commercial break and they'd cut to him. And I think just besides the opening monologue, I think all these shows work so much better without the host, like the Screen Actors Guild Awards. That The time that goes to those hosts just making jokes can be allotted to people getting the, giving their speeches, which I think that's what these awards should be for. And most of the time they cut to the host, I'm like, oh, I'm just tired. Let's just get to the awards. And I knew he was going to make a slap joke, but he made a, like it three or four times. I was like, okay, we get it. I was like, I could maybe handle one or two, but they just kept making it over and over again. And nothing this year was as dramatic as that, which I was hoping for. I love some good drama at my Oscars, but they kept making the slap joke like three or four times. And it, it kind of got tiring. I also say that last year they kept like six or seven awards out of the main broadcast and edited them in. But I think they should still keep that for some of the ones. Specifically, I think they should keep that for the short segments. So like animated short film documentary short film live action short film i don't need to see those because most of the time the nomin announcing the nominations then giving out the awards that takes longer than the short films themselves and i really i haven't seen any of the short films and i really just don't care about watching any of them and same with the documentaries and i know this is gonna make some people mad but this is the way we keep the ceremony under three hours and not close to four hours like it was this past week i'm like i don't need to see all of these short film nominations and then and then now let's break down some of each of the categories. So let's start with what they announced, what they started with tonight: best animated, uh, Pinocchio won to the surprise of no one. I actually didn't really like this movie. It's kind of just been everyone's go-to, and I thought Turning Red from Pixar or Post and Boost Last Wish would have been much better choices. I just think that some of these people they don't really watch the animated films, and they they vote for the one that looks the most artsy for them to them. And when you see an animated film that says um Gamero de Toro on it they're gonna be like oh I'm gonna vote for that because it's definitely the most artsy even though they probably haven't watched any of the nominations they vote for the ones their kids like or they vote for the one that looks most artsy to them which is why this category just completely sucks every year and but I did like The Rock 
the um, Dwayne Johnson and Emily Blunt coming out to announce it. And then uh, Del Toro later said he was saying animation is cinema and it totally is. But I don't think many of these Oscar voters actually realize that and they need to actually watch and support this 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 cinema animation is was the birth of cinema and they need to support it so this this um this category always gets me every year it's so it's so annoying and then let's move to the next category best supporting actress this was angela bassett's to win from black panther she was amazing and i think she got upset by jamie lee curtis and i think this had to do with a couple of things first the industry right now is viewing Marvel with so much hatred, especially after I think Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania totally derailed her nomination because she had the momentum going in, but she lost it after like the last three award show right before the Oscars. And I think that had something to do with the Marvel hatred. And then um, I think Jamie Lee Curtis is just a woman of the people. She's admirable. She's hardworking and she knows a lot of people that are voters. And I don't even think Jamie Lee Curtis gave the best supporting actress performance in her own movie i think stephanie shu she should have won over jamie lee curtis but i mean i'm not really upset with it because jamie lee curtis is always there supporting michelle Yeoh, supporting kei Kwan. she supports supports everyone and it, it kind of still even though i was sad to see my other two favorites lose it still made me happy to see a woman like jamie lee curtis win after all, how much she's worked for and the joy on her face you saw when she won oh it i mean I love the movie she was in, so I'm all for it, but I still wish Angela Bassett won. She was sitting next to Austin Butler, so they both got, they both lost that night. They were there to console with each other, but I don't know. I'm glad for Jamie Lee Curtis, but I still think Angela, this was Angela Bassett's. And then next up, supporting actor. This was a no surprise. Kehei Kwan won for everything I've ever wants, and this is his to win. He should have won, and he did win, and the speech he gave, he got everyone tearing up. Ariana Bois announced his name, and then she started crying, and everybody in the audience, you could tell, they were all teary-eyed with his story that he told. He even got a hug with Harrison Ford at the end of the night, and he'll definitely never have, never have to struggle to find his next role again, and I'm so happy for him. And then cinematography, this went to All Quiet on Lester Front. And I think this should have been Batman's award to win. And it wasn't even nominated. Um, I'll quite much front. It looked good, but nothing I haven't seen before. Nothing spectacular. I'm tired of seeing war movies win. And I'll get to this later. But yeah, I didn't care for this film nor this win. And then we had production design. Also went to All Quiet on the Western Front. I think this was Babylon's to win. Like some people said online, I find it much harder to make 20th century like movie sets, recreate them. Or even Elvis with those stages. But I think it's so much easier to make a convincing war-torn society. Like, I don't know. That stuff is just... I've seen it before. I've seen it before. And I feel like, oh, I just don't want to keep awarding the same movies over and over again. And I started to get scared at this point. Because the film kept winning. And I thought it was coming for Best Picture. But thank God it wasn't. I'm just I'm just so tired of movies that just say, oh, war is bad. Because we all know it is. And it's time to let these movies fall by the wayside. I'm just... That was in the past. Just can we move on eventually from all these war movies and stop awarding them? They're all the same. And then score came up next. That went to All Quiet on the Western Front too. And I have to say, I liked the few notes that they played at the Oscars that whenever they won the dun dun. But Babylon's score was far was by far the best. And I think it wasn't voted for because many people didn't like the film. And that totally weighed down the stuff. It totally weighed down the stuff that was truly great, like the score. And then by this time, I was so sick of the speeches that All Quiet on the Western Front winners were giving to. I was like, can we please, can we please move on from All Quiet winning? This better not be. I was getting scared that everything everyone wants wasn't going to win. But thank God it didn't. And then we got to visual effects. And to the surprise of no one, Avatar The Way of Water won. But for a second, I thought they were going to give it to All Quiet on the Western Front. And this this win was a no-brainer the effects were essential to the movie they were the basis of that movie that made it the third biggest movie of all time and it looks so real everyone believed it and i think if it didn't go to avatar the way water 
we would be up in arms. Like that would be the biggest upset of the night and it would not be justified. And then we got to the more top top line um awards screenplay came out we're just gonna talk about original screenplay here everything everywhere all at once it deserved to win and it did and we're starting to get the sweep we saw and the daniels who made the movie they wrote directed they wrote and directed it they got to speak up there three times and i'm just happy for a new exciting movie like this it's my favorite movie last year and it was just great women talking i also mentioned one for best adapted screenplay i haven't seen this myself but i'm glad it beat all quiet on the western front i just gotta say that and then sound Top Gun, Top Gun Maverick won this one. They had to give it something. And this is a no-brainer. It's only a war of the night, but the sound was essential to the effect of the fighter jets, and it really made you feel like you were there. And this was the one for Top Gun Maverick to win. And then back to the Everything Everywhere One Sweep, it won editing. And this is the film that you saw editing firsthand. Trying to unite all the different universes into the cohesive film was so hard. How how many different different ver- different takes you had to combine into one scene it just seems absurd to me and i can't believe they pulled it off and then same for the directing i'm starting to repeat myself here but the daniels got to speak again and this i'm just great i'm so happy for this movie and we'll get to it later but they ended up winning best picture but we'll get to that in a minute and then actor in a leading role brennan fraser won and i thought this was going to be austin butler's award for elvis but i'm not mad that it's brennan fraser for the whale i thought I thought he didn't give a good speech though, but I'm happy for him and I'm glad he's back in Hollywood after, and that's just kind of theme for all the acting wins of the night. These are first time nominations and first time wins and they, they all struggled at some point in their careers and they're all back now and it's just like they showed their adversity that they're here to stay and I'm just, it's, it makes you all want to root for every single one of them. And then actress, we got to best lead actress. This was my biggest, my biggest reaction of the night. Michelle Yeoh overcame Kate Blanchett and I was so happy for her to finally get the recognition for all she has done in the industry. She's amazing. And I found out that she used to be a ballerina until she had a spinal injury and that's what led her to be an actress. And I'm so glad she is an actress because she's wonderful. And I, there was videos of her family reacting to her in Malaysia and it just warms your heart. And I was so, I'm so happy for her especially over Kate Blanchett, who's won an Oscar before. She's already there, but Michelle Yeoh, she overcame all the odds and she won, and I can't wait to see what she does next. And then lastly, I'm just set, beating a dead horse here, but everything, everywhere, all at once won the final award of the night, and it's totally deserved. It has now won seven Oscars, and the most above-the-line Oscars of all time. That, in, that means producer, actor, director, and writing awards, and it's totally deserved. I'm so glad a unique, unique film like this is getting the recognition it deserves. And just overall, I thought it was a great show, especially over the past two years. And I was actually rooting for the film that won, so that helps everything I once, as I said before, it was my favorite movie the last year. It touched me on such a deep level. And I hope that this inspires everyone who has not seen everything overall at once to go and watch it right now, because you will not be disappointed. All right, now let's touch on the box office for this past week. Scream 6 posted the franchise best with $44.5 million. That was over last year's Scream 5, which opened with $34 million, and it's the best of the whole entire franchise, like I said. And I think this just has to do with the greatness of the last film. Scream 5 was great, and then the great marketing they had for this one. The New York setting was played excellently up in the marketing, and then Jenna Ortega, she's using her star power here to propel this movie forward. She just got out of Wednesday, and she's on top of the world. And I think she probably added a couple, at least a couple million to this opening. Opening. And that movie's also just straight up good, and it ended up with a B plus cinema score, which is great for a horror film. And this is going to continue to be a big franchise winner for Paramount. And I think this film is going to make a huge profit on its thirty-five, on its modest thirty-five million budget. They are already planning on making a Scream Seven. I bet that will come out next year as well. And I'm down, I'm down for a screen film a year. This also continues the winning streak for Paramount, Top Gun, Maverick last year, and all their other successes. And then they have Dungeons and Dragons coming out 
um, later this month, end of the month, and it's getting rave reviews right now. So they also had Top Gun Maverick win an Oscar last night, like I said, and now the success of Scream 6. They are just, they're dominating the industry at the moment, and everything they're doing is hitting, except for maybe Babylon. <laughs> and then we had Adam Driver's 65. That overperformed to 12 million, 12 million this week. This is based, I think this is just based on Adam Driver's star power alone. And besides the Super Bowl spot and a few other commercials, Sony didn't really support this film. They held back the reviews until the day it was released. And I really think they cut the legs off of this film. The film was budgeted at $45 million, and it does not seem like it will make its money back. But we'll see. I enjoyed it, but audience did not. They gave it a C plus in cinema score. So that's not, that's really bad. So any hope of this film legging out just got crushed. And I think Adam Driver, he really needs a box office win after his tens of failures since The Rise of Skywalker. And hopefully he shows up in Fantastic Four like the rumor is. And I think, I think his career could really use a boost. And then Creed 3. Fellow respected 53% to, I think, $26, $27 million last weekend. And that's the same exact fall as Creed 2 did in 2018. And this film has already passed $100 million domestic, and it's making loads and loads of money. Michael E. Jordan said they are creating a whole cinematic universe for this franchise after this success with, like, shows and movies. They're going to do some anime shows. They're doing, um, they're talking about doing a movie based on his daughter, in fact. And that was the only part of Creed 3 that I didn't care for, so I don't know how I think about that. And I think this expanding the universe is a bit much. Not everything has to be a cinematic universe. And I really just want them to focus on making a great Creed 4 and maybe a Drago spinoff. But please don't screw this up, Michael B. Jordan. You have a huge win here, but just don't overexpose yourself like Kevin Feige did. Just slow down. Focus on the ones that are success. You just don't want to flood the market with projects. Please don't. And then at the Oscars... We had a Little Mermaid trailer, the new live action one. The It was introduced at the Oscars, which I thought was unique. And it was introduced by Halle Berry, who plays Ariel, and then Melissa McCarthy, who plays Ursula. And I really like the style of marketing where the trailer is baked into the Oscars itself. And they went out and talked about it, and then they showed it to the crowd there. And I think we could totally see this happen next year with more films. This was a huge success for Little Mermaid. And then Warner Brothers later, they also did something similar, but it was only an ad for the 100th anniversary of their company with... There was no new looks, by the way. You got to throw something in for their fans with new films coming out this year. Why not show just a couple couple shots from new films they have coming out? I think that would have gotten that to pop a little more. But I think it was a great idea to the Oscars, make the Oscars more like the Super Bowl with the trailers. And I'm all here for it. But now let's focus on the trailer itself. And they definitely saved all the colorful shots for this Little Mermaid trailer. I love the new look of the new poster they put out. And Halle Berry, just, she just looks stunning as Ariel. But... I do have to say, I hate the look of the animals in the film. It was weird looking at a young boy's voice coming out of a normal looking fish. And then Sebastian looks so much like a real crab, it's unsettling. And then Scuttle the Bird just looks nothing like his animated counterpart. This stuff right here is why I hate these live action remakes. If they want to be... If they want to make us make a remake of the original material just plus it like they plussed jungle book and maleficent i just i don't just want it like a straight retelling of the story and i really hope this film is more like the ones i previously mentioned and then other than the creatures though i thought everything else looked pretty beautiful and seeing this seeing that it's based off a great film the story just like in the original is great and melissa mccarthy i think was a perfect fit for ursula and i love that her tentacles they light up in the dark i think that's such a nice flare and i wonder if when she turns into a human i wonder if melissa mccarthy's still gonna play her or they're gonna get a new actress i don't know we'll see but the standout of the trailer for me though was Harvey, javier barden as king triton and he bought the gravitas for this film that that was deeply needed and his costume i thought was great i thought him yelling at halle berry it was like oh he's in a serious movie none of these other actors are and he was doing a great job so everybody be more like Harvey, javier bardem and then prince eric 
There was nothing notable about him. I've never seen an actor before, and he didn't shock me with his performance or anything, but I don't think Prince Eric and the original is anything too special, so, I mean, we'll see. I thought it was a solid trailer, ultimately, but everyone else is loving this, and I think this film is definitely going to hit a billion with the impact the first film had on, on people that are now parents. I'll be there opening night, but I really hope this makes the storyline of the original even better. One can dream. And then, let's move on to Last of Us, the finale. The finale came out the same night as the Oscars, so I watched the Oscars at 7, and then at 10.30, I turned on The Last of Us. It was a good night. It was a good night. It was a late night, but it was good. And it was the shortest episode of the series, and I have mixed feelings on it. Um... One thing I did like was that it was pretty late, and since it was short, I got to bed even earlier, which was nice. And I thought the show needed, this episode needed more time to read to tell, really deep dive into heavy decisions that were made here. And warning, spoilers are ahead. But let's break it down. After Joel called Ellie his baby girl last episode, I really feel he sees this Ellie as a complete replacement for Sarah, and now he's opening up to her, and... I don't think you should ever compare your new daughter to your old one. And then Ellie, at the same time, she's not recovered from her killing that man last episode. And they're both just not not in a good emotional state right here. And then they talked, they had a scene where they talked to the giraffe and they came up and petted it. And I think that was the only calm moment in that episode. I think it brought some levity that was gladly needed. And this, the new world is still beautiful. And we see a flashback, we called open this week, to a flashback of Ellie's birth and see how she became immune. We saw that Marlene had to shoot her best friend, and that was that was really tough to watch. But it shows the connection that Marlene has with Ellie that's set up later. And we find out, after Joel and Ellie get captured by the, um, by the Fireflies, Ellie has to die to get the cure out of her. And I thought that we should have, I thought, besides, before killing everybody, I think we should have asked Ellie what she wanted to do when she was in a good emotional state right now she's not in a good emotional state but joel joel's told this information he is not going to sit by and apparently this is the scene in the game and i thought the action here could have been better i like that the theme music played while he took action though and it just shows how much he will do for that girl and it was just so sad that situation that he was put in and he ends up even killing marlene and he takes ellie with him and like and and lies to her that they gave up on the cure and everyone died from a raider attack. And that's just, that's ballsy of them to just basically do the writers to do this to Joel's character. And Ellie knows he's lying. I think, he, I think she knows he's lying, but I think she wants to believe. She wants to believe that he's telling the truth. And they make it to the commune from episode six at the end. And Ellie ends the show by asking Joel to swear by his statement. And she just goes, okay. She wants to believe him. And dang, what a cliffhanger. And I don't really know what happens to the second game, but I don't think it's going to end well for either of the two. Uh, Joel should have just told her what he did, but I'm sure we will address that next season. I'm going to miss the show for two years, but overall, I gotta say I really enjoyed this series. Sometimes it felt overly melodramatic while while other times it was firing all, firing all cylinders. I, um, one thing I hope they can learn from the next season, that they need, they need more zombies on this zombie show. I think... I think they episode five was the highlight of the season for me because they had the mixed emotional drama drama and then they also had the zombie text, which is what I was looking for in the show. But definitely check it out if you haven't yet. And then the life news came out though that the lifetime average viewership for each episode came in at about thirty million, which is one million above House of the Dragons average viewership per episode, which is just an incredible achievement for the show, and it's gonna carry it into this into its second season. But I really can't believe this news because everyone I know is watching House of the Dragon, but I don't know that many people watching this show. So I guess I just hang out with more House of Dragon people than Last of Us people. But that's incredible. That's incredible support. And everybody on this show is definitely getting pay raises for the next season. They definitely are. 
And then let's address the other new show, another new show that came out this week. We got Mandalorian season three, episode three. Spoilers are ahead. And I'm quite conflicted about this week's episode of Mandalorian. I want to start off by talking about the opening of the episode because I thought it was a highlight. Um, we see Bo-Katan recovering from seeing the Mythosaur last episode, and she does not tell Din what she saw. I think that she doesn't tell Din because she thinks of herself as the chosen one and the one to reunite her people. And But Din is the one who has a Darksaber, so he has a better chance of pulling it off. I don't think she wants the competition. She's saving that Mythosaur for herself. But we make it back to Bo-Katan's castle planet, and they get attacked by tie intercepts. This action was like the highlight of the episode, the season so far, and I think one of the best action scenes in the entire show Mandalorian. The ships conversing through the caverns led some for, for some great maneuvers, and then we had Mandalorian jumping out of Bo-Katan's ship to get to his get to his um, in one starfighter. It was so tense and great. I thought he was about to get smacked by a tie interceptor when he was flying down. He made out just a naked time. And then the last maneuver, Bo-Katan makes fantastic. She opens up one wing to turn around and then blast the TIE fighter. It was great. But the attack, it was good action, but it also served because it actually serves the purpose of the story. There are consequences for our characters. We see Bo-Katan's whole home gets destroyed. And I really felt her pain also, that droid we saw earlier is gone, is gone, and that leads to her having to go with Din, so it sets up the story, and I wanted to see her, I wanted to see her destroy those TIE Fighters too, but there were just too many for the take on, and I think this was definitely the work of Moff Gideon, as they find out later in the episode that he's escaped from prison, he's definitely taking revenge against Bo-Katan for stealing as many ships as she did, but after this 10 minute intro, we shift our focus to Dr. Pershing on the Coruscant planet. The convert in the title refers to both the Doctor and Bogotan, which I think the parallels are quite cool. But here is where the episode lost a lot of steam. It felt like John Favreau wanted to recreate some of the, some of the success that Android had with its political in intrigue, but without the fantastic writing from Tony, Tony Gilroy that that show had, I don't think he pulled it off. Also, the runtime was 59 minutes this week, and. I guess it's be careful what you wish for because I was asking for longer episodes, but I think this one could have been significantly shorter because we spent 30 to 40 minutes in this Dr. Pershing storyline that was really, really predictable. Dr. Pershing sees adjusting to his new life, but comes across an old Imperial co-worker. Her name's Kane, and she puts the idea in his head that he should continue to pursue his cloning work, even if it's illegal in the New Republic. She eventually gets him arrested and betrays him, which I totally could see coming at the start of the episode. And... I like the way she did. I, I do like the way she hurts him, though. She punishes him using the Mind Flayer, which is totally... Isn't that a term from Stranger Things? So I find it funny that Star Wars and Stranger Things are both using the term Mind Flayer from Dungeons & Dragons. But there is no way that torture technology could be left alone to a past Imperial officer. No way. And I have no idea what the storyline was setting up, but you can tell it, totally tell it is. So I don't know why Moff Gideon wants to take revenge against Dr. Pershing. Maybe he doesn't want to tell the New Republic what they were doing with the cloning stuff. But, I don't know, this storyline just didn't really do it for me. I do have some things I loved about this part, though. Coruscant is my favorite planet in all of Star Wars, and it's never looked better. We see the highest peak on the planet is showing only a tiny bit, and you see all the construction around it. It's just like a mountain peak sticking out. It's such cool world building, and it's so fun to imagine that the planet is completely covered in buildings. I hope one day, though, that they flash back and we get to see what the planet looks like before the city sprung up. I wonder what... The basis of Coruscant looks like that's just it's just so interesting to see and then I also like the inner workings in the New Republic they are far some people like to say they're just as worse no they're not they are far better than Imperials but they're also still flawed this allowing the Imperials to still exist they that let them come back in the society just basically how they were probably played a big part in their downfall and I don't know 
I think they're definitely pretty flawed, but they're still better than the Empire is. But I just think this section could have been greatly shortened and improved on my Mandalorian show. I like to stick with the Mandalorian, but thank God at the end of the episode, we cut back to Mandalorian and Bo-Katan, and we get to see that, that they made it to other Mandalorians we saw in the first episode. Din Djarin proves he was baptized, and in the process, Bo-Katan is welcomed in because she bathed in the living waters too by rescuing Din Djarin. And I think she for one, is surprised to be welcomed in by people again after all of hers left her. And two, I think she realizes if she sticks with this cult, she has an army that can be used to retake the planet. So I'm interested in seeing where this goes. And I think Bo-Katan is definitely the most interesting character this season. I think she could, we could see her having a relationship with Din Djarin. And I honestly think her and Din Djarin are going to have to go head to head by the end of the season. I think she's probably going to want to take, she's probably going to find the Mythosaur. And I think she's going to go on to go head to head. And she wants control of that planet. She wants control. But I, maybe it's like a John, John and Jon Snow and Daenerys situation from Game of Thrones. I think it's going to be very similar to that. So I hope next week, though, we stick with Bo-Katan Mandalorian for the entire time because their chemistry is the best part of this season. And I don't know. I got hopes. Make make long episodes, but make those long episodes that we get to stick with our characters that we like. And that's going to do us for our topics this week. For what's coming next week, John Wick 4. John Wick Chapter 4 opens next week. And I just recently watched all three of the films for the first time. And I have to say that the second one is definitely my favorite with three coming in right behind it. I'm getting a close friend out to the movies with me for the first time in years to see this film. And I think we're both going to enjoy it. I'm a little nervous about the runtime of two hours and 49 minutes. But I've heard there are two 30-minute plus action scenes in the film. And if that's the time they need to make those types of action scenes, I'm all here for it. I love the action scene in Paris with the cars flying at them in the trailer that they showed off and their reviews for this film has been exceptional. I think it's in like at 90% Rotten Tomatoes right now. So I'm very excited and that's going to do it for this week's episode of seeing it all. What did you think of Shazam 2? Are you going to get out and see it? And did you watch the last of us finale and the Oscars? Let me know what you guys think and make sure to follow me on social media at seen it all podcasts. We're on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And please join us next week where we talk about, we'll give my John Wick four review. Thank you all again. Bye-bye.